By the time you hear this podcast, you will never look at, at a martini the same way again. Now, the great thing about the James Bond films is the amazing music from the James Bond movies. And only the finest performers get a chance to do a James Bond uh, theme. And people like Tom Jones. People like Tina Turner. People like Aha. Only the greatest and most enduring bands get a chance to do a James Bond theme. That's sad because so many brilliant performers have never done a James Bond theme. It's amazing. People like Neil Young. James Bond with your fancy women. Who are you fooling? Nobody. Never a chance. People like Ethel Merman. Hey, James, come up to my place. Hiya, hiya, waka waka, hiya, waka wow. Never, never did one. People like Morrissey. I met him at a chip shop. He was in a tuxedo. And then he was gonna save the world. Why, why? Where have you gone? Why did you run? Why, why, why? What about me? Why, why not me? Why, 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 why? Why, why, why? Why, why? Never had a chance. All right. So we started off a little bit different this time with some comedy. And uh, that'll give you a clue as to what our topic will be this evening. So welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with another episode. And we have a special guest um, who uh, I guess I wanted him to be on the podcast. I was trying to think of a topic. And uh, him being... um, uh, I don't know if he would consider himself an expert or just an aficionado or a historian. I, I, I would say obsessive. Obsessive, okay. And probably, obs- that's probably the, the, <laughs> the, the fairest term that, that could be used. All right, so an obsessive, um, an obsessive expert. Let's, let's put a positive spin on it. Uh, I like that. <laughs> an, an, an obsessive expert on uh, what we're going to talk about on this episode Um a friend of mine from University of West Georgia. Um, Go Wolves. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just like uh, Ben uh, was my college roommate, Tim was another one of my roommates. So, uh, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I've waited for the, this moment my entire life. All of two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was born two months ago. Oh, God. <laughs> You're very advanced for a two month old. Yeah. yeah well, thanks. <laughs> um, so, um, well, Tim, uh, you were, uh, I know last time we had an extensive conversation, you were um, in, you were living in Savannah, but on the verge of moving to Atlanta. So, welcome back, I guess. Is it the same old place <laughs> I laughed about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I moved to Atlanta. Uh, last year, or yeah, yeah, it was last year, I guess. I'm sorry, it was. Uh, it's been. It, the, the, I also recently moved to another apartment in Atlanta, so it's been a little bit 
kind of hectic in my life. So yeah, I moved a couple years ago. Um, I haven't done any theater since I moved back to Atlanta, but have been doing a lot of writing and um, working, working for the weekend kind of deal, I guess. Mm. All right. Um, so um, I guess, that, well, as I may explain before we started recording, kind of getting into what we, how we do this show, mm-hmm. kind of our, our format. Um, we have some, some music news. Um, uh, so Ben, um, you can start us off. Like you said, I, I know you mentioned the song. I totally forgot what the song was, oh, but someone someone was getting sued because it sounded like another song. Well, they're trying to avoid getting sued, and um, not to sound like Peter Griffin, but you know what really grinds my gears. Um, <laughs> so um, the number one song in the country right now, I believe it's still the number one song in the country, Chainsmokers featuring Halsley, um, Closer, which I think is a really good song. Apparently a lot of people don't like the lyrics, though. Um, they say that they sound like a, like a high school kid wrote them or something. Um, I don't mind them, but then again, I don't really pay that much attention to the lyrics. I really go for melody, but I digress. Um, so apparently the song was getting a lot of comparisons to the song Over My Head, um, and then in parentheses, Cable Car, by The Fray. And so um, with all of the comparisons that kept coming through, they just decided to go ahead and give Isaac Slade and... Um, I think Joe King also, I know Isaac Slade, I recognize that name because he's the lead singer of The Fray, but they went ahead and just gave them writing credits um, to avoid any sort of potential lawsuits, which I just annoys the crap out of me. <laughs> I really don't like that. Um, ex- you know, of course, with um, the lawsuit that just happened recently where Robin Thicke, um, well, not recent, that was a couple of years ago, Robin Thicke and Pharrell were sued for... Um, for Blurred Lines. For Blurred yeah. Lines. And now, um, just now recently, Ed Sheeran is being sued by the estate, or I should say the lyricist of... Um, the estate of the lyricist of um, for thinking out loud because they think it sounds like Let's Get It On, which, I, I mean, come on, like, there's only so many chord progressions, so only so many notes. Um, everyone's stealing from everyone. Everything sounds like everything. Um, Sam Smith did this a couple of years ago with Stay With Me. Uh, to Tom Petty because everyone s- said it sounded like uh, won't back down, and then uh, I was telling Greg back in the '90s, um, the Rolling Stones did the same thing with Katie Lang with anybody seen my baby, sounding like Constant Craving, and I just I can't get behind this trend. Um, a well, I mean, uh, I it, it, to, I didn't think I was going to have anything to contribute here, but I, I strangely <laughs> do. Um, in, in fairness, uh, in regards to Sam Smith, it wasn't just the chord progression. It was that's it's not the same melody line, but it's a very similar melody line. I remember one morning I woke up with "Stay with Me" stuck in my head, and I, without even thinking about it or realizing it, started saying the lyrics to "Don't Won't Back Down." Mm-hmm. So, like, and like uh, contrast that with the constant cravings and "Has anyone seen my baby?" That's like to me. That's like starkly different. But yeah. to me, in in my brain, for stay with me, it was so easy to just go ahead and start singing. Won't back down. Yeah. So I I was I also don't like Sam Smith. I'll just go ahead and say so. <laughs> well, yeah. The cadences. <laughs> the thing that really stood out to me with that song, and that's the, the only place I could really find the credence was the cadences in the choruses sounded exactly alike. I yeah. will give them that. Um, the verses I don't think as much, but the cadence. Of course. Towards the end of that, the end of that chorus, yeah, that did sound kind of alike, and that's kind of where I saw. Um, can't say that I necessarily still agree with it, just because I feel like yeah, music that, is so fluid, you know. 
Yeah, I think that's really fair because there's there's a finite amount of notes mm-hmm. and words in the England English language. Yeah. So like, there's only it's going to have to stop at some yeah point. Because I mean, if you really think about it, too, pop music as we know it in this form, you know, in this verse chorus form, has only been around for what 60, 70 years. Um, mm-hmm. After you know, kind of it evolved from. You know, the um, the Tin Pan Alley writers, the George Gershwins, the Duke Ellingtons and Tin Pan Alley, um, after it kind of morphed from, you know, kind of simple. Not, I won't say simple jazz, but simple compared to what jazz was, then turning into, you know, this verse chorus um, type of music that's only been around for maybe 60 or 70 years. So um, if they think it's hard writing an original song that doesn't sound like anything that's been written before, it's only going to get harder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So I guess, you know, hey, the chain smokers, who know, um, who knows, maybe they were just told by their management team or someone just just go ahead and give them credit, avoid a lawsuit, just give them credit and be done with it and give them some money. You know, I may have been a seem like a good idea or just to just to get out in front of it. Yeah, exactly. because maybe if, if it got, if it went into court, maybe they would have owed more money or mm-hmm. or more publishing or something to that effect. Um, that reminds me of um, even though it wasn't like a. Oh, this sound. This song sounds like this song, mm-hmm. but um, if you're familiar with the song uh, "Deja Vu" by Peter Guns and Lord Tariq, yeah, <laughs> um, they sampled uh, "Black Cow," yeah, by, uh, by Steely Dan. Dan, yeah. But the song came out before the sample was cleared, so they what? got sued, and. Um, Steely Dan got a hundred percent of the publishing. So mm-hmm. if you look up that song on Wikipedia and you can see the writing credits, you see uh, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. You don't see Peter Guns <laughs> or Lord oh, Tariq as the hurt. writers of the song of of Deja Vu. Not yeah. a like they sampled Black Cow, yeah. but they're the songwriters for Deja Vu too. So you know. Check out and also Steely wasn't, Dan bars. <laughs> wasn't wasn't a tribe called Quest? Didn't they have to pay like an exorbitant amount of money just to sample that baseline from Lou Reed? Uh, probably they sampled everything. Like yeah. they they're well, yeah, yeah. well, in in, in the, uh, uh, can I kick it? Like um, I remember, like they gave an interview recently or at some point in the past year, and they said something like, uh, "We didn't really read the contract, and we." Lou Reed made more money off that song than we did. Uh, I haven't read anything like that, but I, I mean, I would, I'd take your word for it. <laughs> um, well, that also reminds Cause me. Cause I am an expert in James Bond and the <laughs> tribe called quest. Yeah, it does. Con- it, all right. So yeah, it does uh, contain a sample of walk on the wild side by Lou Reed. It, it, it does say, uh, 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 fife dog, may he rest in peace. He stated that because of the use of the walk on the wild side sample, the group didn't receive any money from the single, with Lou Reed cla- instead claiming the profits. So Holy shit. they didn't make any money off of that. Um, and maybe they tried to clear the sample. I, they have a with Tribe Called Quest. They were the one of the groups where every part of their song was sampled from something, and it kind of it was pieced together mm-hmm. like a mm. like origami or you know some very weird jigsaw puzzle <laughs> you know because they were getting sounds from all over the place and mm-hmm. a lot of their that's where a lot of their budget went into when they made an album um and you can learn more about tribe called quest if you uh i watched their the documentary 
um, Beats, Rhymes, and Life on Crackle. Um, I don't even know if I have Crackle. It's free. Yeah, I've heard. I, I don't know where to find <laughs> it. But like, I think it's Crackle.com. Sure. Oh, okay. I guess I didn't know you could watch it online. I thought you had to have the app or something. Well, there is an app, but yeah, yeah just go to Crackle.com. It might still, and I don't know if it's still there now because they rotate movies okay. more often than Netflix does, it seems like. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, uh, get, get the samples clear, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if you learn nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> and even to piggyback off of that even more, I still remember um, the Rolling Stones with Bittersweet Symphony where they uh, – I didn't even know. Like that was from an album of orchestral, orchestra, orchestral mm-hmm. covers of their songs. I mean I understand if they if they – you know, okay, you're doing our songs. Mm-hmm. But wow, somebody's sampling a cover of your song and they – that that was Rolling Stones came for them, man. Yeah, <laughs> the Verve, the that was the Verve or the, the Verve, verve pipe? the Verve. Okay, mm-hmm. I know there were two bands yeah, the that verve used the and, word Verve and the Verve pipe, the freshman. I haven't heard anyone use that word in any other context. Yeah, I have no, I have no <laughs> clue what a Verve is, right, or an adverb. Tim, did any? Can you help us? Out? Nope, I, I got I got absolutely right. nothing. <laughs> no, uh, seriously, like it. Uh, uh, I didn't. I, I thought it was someone else had sued the Verb, though. Well, it was their manager on behalf of the Rolling Stones. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily. I don't, and I don't know how. I'd have to dive into a little bit more deeper. Um, but it was. Um, yeah, they were. It was on their behalf. So basically, they just used it without asking anyone, and the Rolling Stones management got got wind of it, and the rest is history, so to speak. That's lame. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Agreed. But I mean, like I've said before, they gotta they gotta protect the empire, man. That's what some of right. Those really I mean, big those great do. grandkids don't pay for themselves, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um. So, uh, well, speaking of someone who does who samples a lot, uh, uh, Ben, you said that Kanye West. Yes, Kanye West and Drake and Drake are making an album. Two of my favorite rappers, believe it or not. I know some people probably don't know that I. I really like Kanye. I really do. Um, I do like some of his older stuff, not to sound like one of those people, but um, the prospect of a Kanye and Drake album, because I, 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 I like pretty much anything that Drake is on for the most part. Um, as a matter of fact, I, there was a point in time where I thought I liked Future, but it was only when he was with Drake. So that is how deep this thing goes for Drake. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting that um, that Kanye is still like, at the top of his game, he's mm-hmm. just come out with an album, and he's doing another collaboration album, like with an artist who is close to his level, mm-hmm. if not right at his level. Yeah, you know, he's done it before with Jay Z, yeah, and that was a massive success. Mm-hmm. And now with Drake, there's the potential for it to be another massive success. Yeah, um, I, I. I'm the only thing I'm worried about really is if they do a tour together, <laughs> will Kanye again insist on the floating stage? Oh, um, <laughs> Drake has a history of injuring himself while yeah. performing. <laughs> he has torn his ACL a couple yeah. of times. I still remember the video where he was on stage with Lil Wayne and he fell and Lil Wayne starts clowning him. It was so yeah, funny. He, is, he has fallen <laughs> off the stage. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's I'll, that'll be the only thing that yeah. Drake will will <laughs> need to take some extra safety 
uh, precautions. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I have a, I have a quick question. Mm-hmm. Um, who hurt Drake? Who hurt him? Everyone. Man. Yeah. Like who hurt his heart? Because he seems like such a sad person all the time. So I didn't know uh, like, if there was like a story as well, to I, why. I feel he... like, uh, like early in his career, I think it was, it was a mix of college girls and, and his, strippers and his parents divorce. <laughs> Like, cause he had that song "Fireworks," which was all about his parents' divorce. Which I'm just like, I've never heard a rapper rap about his parents getting divorced. And then he sings his own hook, and then has Alicia Keys come in and sing the other part of the hook. And I was just like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I love Drake, but he he was really soft. Like he was really soft back then. You also have to consider yeah. that, you know, like, like I told you, Ben, many times, Drake thinks he's from Houston yeah. or Atlanta, mm-hmm. and uh, he he when he you know was signed or or whatever trying to come up and being a rapper he spent a lot of time in Houston and learning how to like a lot he's heavily influenced by Southern rap yeah specifically uh, UGK but not in the bad way so yeah not like ASAP Rocky like so <laughs> he'll have those kinds of he'll have those kinds of those kinds of beats and that kind of tone but subject matter is. Um, you know, he falls in love with falls in love with strippers, and then he and then he's sad about it when the relationship doesn't work out. <laughs> and now, thank you for clarifying. Yeah. So and and now, like I, I've said, I think I said this on the last episode. Now he's with Rihanna. Yeah. But he thinks he's with Rihanna, and for her, it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's yeah <laughs> yeah. He's not gonna. I feel like he's been trying. He's been after her for a while. Like. Every time, at like at least the last six years, yeah, like I would see them on stage and I'd be like, "Oh, they're cute," but then I have to be like, "Wait, they're not together yet," mm-hmm. and I feel like that's what Drake was saying, like, "You ain't mine yet. I got my eye on you. You're gonna be mine." Kind of like Biff had his eye on Lorraine and Back to the Future, <laughs> only less, you know, forceful and, and less rapey. <laughs> oh, yeah, less rapey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Biff was kind of crazy. Um. Please, Drake, don't rape Rihanna. Please. Um, She's all that we have. She's all that's good and pure in this world. Please don't destroy this. uh, So, uh, well, I I didn't know about this, but Ben mentioned this right before we started recording. Um, Now, the first YouTube video to hit a billion views is Gangnam Style, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The second video on YouTube to hit a billion views is? Well, no, this is two, actually. Two billion now. Oh, two billion. I don't know what the second one to hit one billion was. This, the it's second one that Swift just hit, or something. probably. Um, we had to get her in there, right? We had to get her in the podcast, yeah. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so, See You Again by Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth, which to me is basically a hook. I mean, I, I liken this song to... Um, to Lollipop by Lil Wayne. Like, no one paid attention to the raps that Lil Wayne had in Lollipop. It was all about the hook. The hook was so catchy. That's what I feel like See You Again is. See You Again is just a really beautiful hook. Oh, and then there's a couple of Wiz Khalifa verses that no one really cares about. Everyone's just waiting to get back to the hook. With that said, though, it has reached 2 billion views on YouTube, which is. Damn. Yeah, which is phenomenal, which is crazy. When you think about it and you kind of think about where popular music has really kind of gone to, whereas, um, 
you know, no one really buys CDs anymore. It's all about the single. And then um, with music television, you know, in the form of a VH1 or an MTV, pretty much dead, we go to the internet for video on demand to see music videos. And, um, and so, like, you know, of course, when Gangnam Style came out and it reached one billion views, I mean, that's almost like a movement. That video was like a movement. You had people, I still see people doing his dance and, you know, from the video in the club, like, if that song somehow gets played. Um, it was like a movement. And that's, like, back then it took a movement of sorts to get that song to a billion views. And now um, it's hit two billion this song has hit two billion, and now there's like several within striking distance. Uptown Funk has one point eight two billion. Um, Sorry has one point seven nine. Taylor Swift Blank Space has one point seven five. Adele's Hello has one point seven. So like you have other videos now. That like this is how we're consuming our music now, um, and I do think as a result that's kind of why YouTube probably has a music app now because they're like people are already using us to listen to music, let's, you know, package this and make it easier for them to listen because that's how they're getting their music. Um, I mean, the game has totally switched. I remember when, like, getting 500 million views on YouTube was a big deal. Or a million views. Or a million. one million views. Yeah, and, like, now we got yeah. people, like, you know, a billion is the new million. And it's just, like, um, with people not releasing, I forget what I was, I think it was the right time with Bomani Jones where he was talking about how, like, when Michael Jackson released a video in the 90s, that, that was, was a big a, deal. It was an event. Like, I remember watching remember yeah, on network TV. And black or white. I, I remember watching these in my living room with my parents, and we were excited. Wouldn't, like, remember the time came on Fox yeah. after an episode of In Living Color? Yeah, it was a big <laughs> deal. I mean, and it was, like, a star-studded cast and everything. And like, yeah. And, like, now that video, that would be, like, a YouTube release, you know? Well, now I think the only person who still, he, he, he treats it like an event is Kanye West. Yeah. Like, Fade what premiered at the VMAs, mm -hmm. and that was an event with uh, with Famous. <clears throat> he he had it at the Great Western Forum like it was a movie. Yeah, well, I mean, like it was a movie premiere. Couldn't you really say to at this point? And I mean, like, I I am not a music video aficionado by any means. I don't go trolling the internet for music videos anymore. But like, I feel like he might be the only popular artist treating it like an art form anymore. Um, I I think he he takes it the most serious. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I I can name a couple of artists offhand that that do still. Um, as Greg knows, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, and and so that was like the actually the first thing that jumped to my mind is that Bob Dylan is still making music videos. But you're right, like there's no one that takes it as seriously as Kanye West. Yeah, I and it's I think it's weird that it's it's really like as an art. I can only really think of. Yeah, really just Kanye. He treats the music video as as an art form and when when he releases it, it's an event. Mm -hmm. It's a mm -hmm. it's something that everyone needs to see. Um you know, and that was that was a deal with that was the deal with a lot of artists mm -hmm. 15 years ago at yeah. least, you know, um where we knew video directors' names, yeah, Mark like Romanek, Hype Williams, Williams, yeah, <laughs> Spike Jones, Spike, Spike Jones, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So, I mean, I think like some of this can probably be attributed to the fact that music videos, you know, aren't as big a deal. They they don't come on TV anymore. Um, it, I think you're probably not making as much money. Definitely not making as much money as a record label. 
from a music video because it's going on YouTube and it's not going to be on it's not going to be on cable television even though advertising on cable television isn't terribly expensive it's a little bit you know it's a little bit better so just you know um maybe record companies are a little less willing to shell out the money without the real return without seeing a great big return whereas you know Kanye West has has really made it as an artist i mean he's one of the biggest pop stars he's he's got to be i think he's a bigger personality than Drake. Like he might not have the sales that Drake has and the hits that Drake has, but I definitely feel well, actually has more hits. We, we, we talked yeah, about that. Yeah. He has more than yeah. one hits. So I, I think he's bigger. I, I, I honestly think he's better than Drake. Also from just an artistic standpoint, Drake, I feel like is just, um, Drake is a really good writer, but he's not he's, an artist. Drake is on his way to like, I think with, if you listen to Kanye's albums, mm-hmm. he pushed himself to do something sonically every time. Yeah. Um, with Drake, he's on his way there. Like, and like, it's, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. We listen to Views. It's pretty much a dancehall yeah. reggae album, more than it being a rap album. Well, just, so maybe he's he's trying he's trying different things. Being as experimental, he's. I mean, we can't expect him. We can't expect any rapper to be as as much of a risk taker as Kanye. Exactly. Is. And that's what I was gonna say. Like, I don't see Drake. For the sake of you know making money and and staying relevant, I don't see him taking the risks that Kanye West takes. Like I don't see him take like 808s and heartbreaks. Like that, <laughs> anyone else makes that record? That's a career killer. Like not yeah. many people can make that record to where it's like you know the entire album you're you're from you're going let, from rapping to singing exclusively. And let me ask just, you this though: What if T Pain made that album? Would it still be a career killer, even because he was already making songs that way? Maybe because of the morose, um, like it was, it was kind of a melancholy album. Like I mean, you had Heartless, which was like I felt like the real single, but like the lead single was like what um, Love Lockdown. Love Lockdown. Like that's that's a very somber track. Um, I don't. So if I think if T Pain was making music like that, I think people would be like dog what's wrong with you like step off the ledge i i need to i need to get i need to get in contact with um with rob hayes he's a comedian uh that started here in atlanta he's in new york now i think but um there, there's a podcast called the book of yay mm-hmm. where him and uh one of his friends they break down a kanye west song okay on each episode um uh that would uh, that would be uh yeah, if I can get in contact with them and see if I can get him to yeah, on our podcast. Yeah, or love, I'll be on his, but we'll... Yeah, Love Lockdown is probably one of my favorite songs by down. him. And it was just, it was different from anything that he'd ever released. Um, from the auto-tune to the African drums to the, um, in the first verse when he's singing and like he distorts his voice when he gets really loud. Like yeah. everything about that song was awesome. I was obsessed with it at one point. Um. So yeah, with the... Uh... Um, Kanye Drake album. Um, I it's I think it's going to be interesting. I I don't know how it's going to sound or how their styles will mesh. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think musically they're 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 pretty different. They're yeah. I think they're more different than than people realize. Um, you know, Drake has worked so much with. Uh, I think producer's name is Forty Noah Shabib. He's a that's his yeah. producer. Right? That's who he's worked with the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if 
uh, how how he will fit in as far as producing with Kanye. So this album may not come out for like two years. Honestly, <laughs> I think because I, I remember the first time I really paid attention to Drake was when he rapped over um, Say What's Good on the um, on his I forget which mixtape mm-hmm. it was. But he rapped over so far gone, I think. He rapped over a um over a Kanye track and it worked really well. So I wouldn't be surprised if like that era Kanye, they would fit together really, really well because a lot of his beats were very mellow at the time. Now, I don't know. I I I mean it's gonna be interesting. Um I think he might have fit on champions, but I don't I don't know what else. Um but I think everyone I mean well they had that had Gucci on, everyone fit on champions. That was that's just a good track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a really good track. <laughs> Um, well, as we like to also mention the, what's the number one song on the Hot 100, we did, I don't think we mentioned it last week, but it's the same this week, and we've actually already talked about it, mm-hmm. uh, Closer by the Chainsmokers featuring Halsey. Because they're ripping off the It was number one last week, <laughs> ripping off the fray, so the, I don't know, remember the fray? Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny because, like, usually when this happens, I'm like, ah, money grab, someone wants to get in the spotlight, but I don't think the fray had anything to do with this. Unless they like told their fans like, "Hey, we're broke. Why don't you say this?" But that just doesn't seem like something afraid would you know, do. You know what? From Colorado, you know what? They seem Even though I don't use the the app or the website, mm-hmm. I feel like it started with a um, on Reddit somewhere. Probably. <laughs> I hope Reddit. I think I think chance. most of the world's woes can be traced back to Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just because I'm in. A culturally ignorant person. Um, <laughs> what, what did the Frey sing? What was their What was their big hit? I think their biggest hit, honestly, "How to Save, How to a, save life. a Life." That was really big. Oh, what did Snow Patrol do then? Because I thought Snow Patrol sang that song. They did "Chasing Cars," yeah. but they both have. Uh, oh my God! Grey's that's Anatomy not the same comments. song. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. crap! <laughs> yeah, "How to Save a Life." I know they had like. Um, a couple of big songs from like a second album, but I don't think anything really got as big as How to Save a Life. Like that song. I'm I'm not kidding. I I really thought those were the same song. Oh god. <laughs> uh, I have to apologize well, to somebody. Know, it's it's probably someone who really really likes Grey's Anatomy. You know what? We should get that going. We should say that um, the spray <laughs> ripped off Snow Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> And see if we can get that going. Get that song Just on, Reddit. on Reddit. <laughs> uh, so um, what we're going to do at this juncture is, Ben, why don't you give us your earworm of the week? All right. So I was wrestling with this, as I normally do. But this is literally a song I, I've been listening to nonstop, singing nonstop. It's Baby Blue by Action Bronson featuring Chance the Rapper. Um randomly heard it at the apartment of my girlfriend's brother in Tuscaloosa, Alabama one night before we went out drinking. And um, it was, it's so catchy. Um, I'm fairly certain that Action Bronson sings the hook. Um, sings the hook on it. It's really the only Action Bronson song I like. Chance the Rapper has a hilarious verse at the end. Um, it's, it's, it's worth a check out. All right. So here is Baby Blue by Action Bronson featuring Chance the Rapper. Thank you. 
I paid for the bed and never even slept in it. I paid for that crib and never stepped foot in. And now somebody else is eating all the pudding. Things change now, my dashboard wooden. All black bands like a young Doc Gooden. Dark shades, cause I'm stone crazy. Girl, we grown, stop playing on my phone, baby. All your childish attempts to make me angry fall short. Which only fuels the rage you have because you have nothing. Understandable, I'm shining brilliant with five Brazilians. There were times I used to hide my feelings. Now I'm butt naked in a Lamborghini. And motherfuckers can't see me. Wait till this chick see me on TV. I make this shit look easy. Who would have thought I hit you right back? Why you always all on my back? Action Bronson featuring Chance the Rapper. Sorry we didn't get the Chance the Rapper's part, but uh, we have the BTT YHT Earworms playlist on Spotify for you to check out for all the songs that are bugging the hell out of us, but maybe in a good way. <laughs> like, I walked into work just, like, humming this. I was just like, God, I forgot how much I love this song. <laughs> uh, so, the topic of the night uh, gave you a hint by playing um, uh, a bit from Sean Cullen's I couldn't remember his name. live album. <laughs> uh, it was from the live album, uh, the um, the Comedy Central special yeah. in which he does this bit included the line from deal from Neil Young's Bond theme. I like fart, <laughs> which I was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> it ended the his the his song ended with I like farms. I like farms. I like farms. <laughs> I was waiting for it too. Uh, I I'd heard this this track because I didn't know he had a he, he had an album on Spotify. I didn't either. On this track, I didn't because um, I've only know the Comedy Central special. Mm-hmm. He did like uh, Neil Young, REM. Yeah, I remember. I was waiting for the REM. And um, what was the other one? Uh, well, in Bob Dylan. Yeah. Uh, with this one, I hadn't heard the Ethel Merman or the Morrissey. Morrissey yeah. <laughs> Those were new. Um, I figured with the Morrissey, Tim would get a kick out of that at least. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I'm, I'm also Ethel Merman as well. I, I have a theater background. so. Well, yeah, of course. Um, well, I, I thought Morrissey first rather than Ethel Merman. Um, well, that's 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 fair given given my demographic. Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, we're talking about the James Bond themes. Um, this seems to be a uh, a prestigious honor. Maybe not in America. Maybe more in the UK uh, because uh, James Bond is a British character. Yeah. Um, but you know there 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 are a handful of Americans who have done the James Bond theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last two artists uh, who have done a James Bond theme are both British and have both won Academy Awards. But um, I don't know if you if you believe this, Tim. 
the songs aren't that great compared to the others or, you know, they kind of just kind of blend in more or as far um, as like, I think, as far as them, well, uh, getting uh, their, being honored the way that they have compared to the other songs. I, I think um, to answer the question, uh, to, to, to directly answer the question, I think that Skyfall actually is legitimately a really great song um, for a lot of different reasons. It has a very classic feel to it. It's a good Adele song, but not overwhelmingly an Adele song. Um, also, a good James Bond theme is able to, in its orchestral version, support the movie. Mm. And Skyfall does that really well. Um, it also just like, a, it has like little subtle notes in it, or, you know, like it has that baseline of the, the classic James Bond theme that dun, 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 like that's kind of lurking around in the background. So I, I, I felt like it was very well deserved with writings on the wall. As I mentioned before, I'm not a Sam Smith fan. <laughs> um, I thought it was insane that they asked him to write a song given the track record he had of writing songs. Oh, and, I didn't know that he wrote it. Um, Holy crap. Say what? I wasn't I wasn't aware that he'd written that. Huh. Well, let's 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 talk about writing for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> he by his by his own admission said that he cranked out the song way 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 faster than he normally would have written a song. Yeah. He also recorded that I think in one take. Which mm. I feel is not perhaps appropriate. Maybe you should spend a little bit more time on it. Yeah. Um, it, well, uh, from what I'm reading here about the song, um, he and co-writer Jimmy Napes wrote the song in under half an hour and recorded a demo. Hmm. And when they listened to the recording, they liked the vocal performance. So they used that. And Sam Smith also said hmm. that he doesn't really like singing the song because <laughs> it's very difficult to sing. Okay, I thought you I was waiting for you to say because he didn't really uh, like it. Yes. <laughs> so he and I have something in common. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I, I guess, like for all the artists that are invited to come in and write a James Bond theme, mm -hmm. they all, they always put like their little spin on it. Like I said, you know, a moment ago, Skyfall sounds like a good Adele song, but it's also a song that, you know, supports the film and writings on the wall doesn't really do that. And it's it, it, it it's just it's just so it's so boring. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't I'm not really at, at the end of a good James Bond theme. Like I'm pumped. I want to watch the movie like Goldfinger. Like you listen to that, you watch the title credits, you want to watch the movie mm -hmm. and in Skyfall, the same thing. And it's just with writings on the wall. I just wanted to like write sad poems in my journal <laughs> and, 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 and not watch the movie. All right. So we're going to have you suffer for just a moment. Okay. As we play the song, but um, not too high, so not so we can talk over it. You know, <laughs> kind of distract yourself from it. it. It's okay. I have razor blades here in case I need to end <laughs> oh, it. Oh, we we don't we don't want that. Please don't. <laughs> we no no suicides in the podcast, please. All right, you talked me out of it. <laughs> yeah, admittedly, because I I am somewhat of a Sam Smith fan. I had not checked out this song. I hadn't even realized he'd done it. Um, and I I'm not gonna lie, I. 
it makes sense that they would ask him to do this, do a song like this, because I do feel that Sam Smith, um, as an artist, is not really made for this decade. I think he would have been huge in the 90s, mm-hmm. even bigger than, well, I mean, not to say that he's big now, but I think he would have been huge in the 90s when, like, you know, you had singers singing songs. I just, I, I think they really tried to, like, make him something that he's not in this decade because that's what they had to do to make him big because he's not Nadell. He can't write and sing a bunch of down-tempo or mid-tempo ballads and be successful. That's Adele's thing, you know? And so it might have sure. honestly, you know, I don't know, maybe they should have gotten someone else to write this. Yeah, this sounds awful. This doesn't sound very good at all. <laughs> well, I, I think, and, and if, we, if, you, if you were to look at, if you were to look at track for track, every single James Bond song, what they were really good, what the producers of the films were really good at were grabbing whoever was very popular in the moment. Yeah. And so grabbing Sam Smith makes sense. I grabbing Adele made sense. Um, but not everyone is really cracked out for it. It's also really fair to point out that a lot of times they invite the film's uh, composer in to write the song as well, just so that they can make it work in the rest of the film. And the last couple of times that didn't happen, the film's song wasn't really that great. Writings on the Wall, uh, Writings on the Wall is an example of that. And then also um, Another Way to Die with Jack White and Alicia Keys. I did not like that one. And, and I have such... I have unusually strong emotions about that song. <laughs> like it, I really feel like I really feel that Jack White should have just done the whole thing by himself, or they should have given the whole thing over to Alicia Keys. One or the other. I feel you. Yeah, yeah. It, I, it's just like it's this duet, and the James Bond themes never go into a duet. That's the only example of it, hmm. and you can and you can see why. <laughs> um, but yeah, like if it was just one or the other, it would have worked. But it was just these two different styles that just didn't mash. Yeah, they thought that probably would. <laughs> now, Jack uh, White probably did a line of cocaine and said, no, trust me, this will work. Oh, and God. they were like, all right, fine, just put down the gun. That's probably what happened. Now, um, I understand what you're saying by getting the popular artist at the moment. Um, I think that may have started... I think that I feel like that started in the late seventies or in the eighties, um, with uh, with I guess with that kind of uh, that kind of thinking, um, uh, because I, like honestly, I don't know anything else about Shirley Bassey than her doing <laughs> three Bond themes. That's all I know about her. Congratulations, you know all that you need to know about Shirley Bassey. <laughs> well, I mean, and she's on, 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 on the British side, like she's a very well-known singer, and, but it's just on the stage side, we only really know her for knowing these three songs. And really, even then, just Goldfinger. No one really knows all the words to Diamonds Are Forever, and no one really knows all the words to Moonraker. Our only connection to Diamonds Are Forever, Kanye West mm-hmm. sampled it. <laughs> <laughs> also, fun fact about Diamonds Are Forever, the guy who wrote the song is John Barry, and John Barry actually wrote the score to 11 James Bond films. Mm-hmm. And uh, he joked with Shirley, uh, Shirley Bassey, hey, while you're singing this and you're singing about Diamonds, just pretend that you're that you're singing about, you know, 
penises. And so she apparently got a big kick out of that. And so when she's singing it, she said that that's what she was thinking about. And so next time you hear the song, you have that to enjoy. Penises are forever. You know, you know, I, penises I, I, never leave me. <laughs> uh, now, some of the artists, I'm like, wow, how was... I was, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm going along with you there about getting the popular artists at the moment. I feel it started mm-hmm. in the '80s. Um, Cheryl Crow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. That's into the '90s. Yeah. Uh, but as Sean Cullen mentioned, aha. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Aha. And you know what's even crazier? <laughs> I tried to listen to other songs by them this week. Someone mentioned Aha, and I was like, you know what? I got Spotify. It doesn't cost me anything extra. Let's go see what else they've done. And then I realized why they were one-hit wonders. In America. Yeah, man. Yeah. But only, 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 they were one-hit wonders in America. I listened but, to uh, the title track to Hunting High and Low. The, the Sunshine. Oh, yeah. Or The Sunshine. I listened uh, to both Always of Shines them. on TV or something like Top that. Top three tracks on there. They were crap. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> um. One there th- is there is in some cases, if I can interject. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, th- th- there are there are a couple of instances where the filming took so long that by the time that the film was released, the song's artist was dated. And Aha is a good example of that. Uh, Cheryl Crow, I think, is a better example of that <laughs> um, because uh, she did Tomorrow Never Dies. That came out in '97. I really feel her heyday was '95, '96 at best. Uh I can, I can see where you're going with that. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies, yeah, from 97. Well, I'm trying to think. When did she come out with, um, I know, Tuesday Night Music Club. Um, God, I remember, I was in elementary school when that came out. So. Uh, Tuesday Night Music right. Club was 93. Yeah. Self-titled was 96. Which one had um, If It Makes You Happy? That was on her self-titled in 96. She had a, yeah, she had I a remember in 95, 96 because of Cheryl Crow and Alanis Morissette. Yeah. Ooh. Angry Canadian. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <it's... laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I feel like there was – well, I'll ask you this, Tim. Uh, with, with the themes, which theme has the – the most unfair backlash. Like, you know, this is actually not that bad of a song. I think people were too hard on it. Well, that's a really good question. Because, I, well, I think that um, Casino Royale, the theme to that is You Know My Name by Chris Cornell of Soundgarden fame. Yes. Um, for some reason in the Bond community, there's like pushback on that song. Um, they say that it's really whiny. It doesn't like have like the little things that a bond theme needs. I really, really, really love that song. And I, I, it's like one of the few songs that is a bond theme that is like a true rock and roll song or even like approaches rock. And, um, it's like, the, it's like by the end of it, like he's screaming, you know, my name, you know, my name. And it's like, yeah, we know his name is James Bond. This is a reboot and it's going to be great. You know, and and like we're we're ready to go, and um, I that that I feel is a song that is unfairly maligned. Another song that I think is worth mentioning is, um, and and this is this is my irony coming in. Another song that's worth mentioning is "All Time High" by Rita Coolidge, which was the theme to 1983's Octopussy. 
and it is such an awful song. <laughs> all right, we have to make the audience suffer. We're gonna play and, it all time, but high. at the same. At the same time, this is the kind of song that, like, you hold someone close on a bearskin rug. Like, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is, like, for no reason should this have been a Bond theme because this is pure saccharine early '80s ballad pop, <laughs> soft nonsense. Like, I, I've, I've, there's Jello that's tougher than this song, right? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason it works for the film and I, I really don't know why and it's also because like again like I mentioned before they're able to make an orchestral version of the song and it fits in so I, I will defend all time high if I had to make a top three no if I had to make a top five best Bond themes I would put the song on there and then I would pick a fist fight with whoever challenges me on it <laughs> So I want to ask you, Tim. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, so you mentioned, you know, you're um, liking the um, Chris Cornell Bond theme because it's a true rock song. The first mm-hmm. time I heard Skyfall, I swore up and down it was written by Muse, by Matt Bellamy of Muse. Um, I, I even uh, looked it you up. You said that was Skyfall? Yeah, I thought, that, I thought Matt Bellamy had written that song for Adele. What would you think of Muse actually getting... A um a James Bond theme. It, I will immediately say that's a good idea. Awesome, it, it's it, so well. it's a good idea because um, a good Bond theme has a dramatic quality to it. It has a build to it, and Muse has never had an issue oh, with yeah. writing a song like that. Yeah. Even like on the B sides, that they were like, "Well, I guess we have to make twelve tracks. So let's just write <laughs> another song." Like, they could do that sort of thing. I actually wish that they had approached Muse to write the song for Spectre, but they didn't because they don't answer my phone calls. Well, I, I want to bring this up as, as, with, the, with the movie Spectre. Uh, Sam Smith's Rise on the Wall was the theme that was used. Uh, Radiohead wrote a song called mm-hmm. Spectre with its intentions to be used for the film, but it was not used. Uh, well, the 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 rumor is that the producers will approach a number of musical artists to try to get them like the widest load of songs that they could pick from. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most recognizable example would be Tomorrow Never Dies, where they actually had three different songs that they chose from Tomorrow Never Dies by Sheryl Crow a song by Katie Lang called Surrender, which was used for the title credits. And then they went to Pulp. You remember Pulp? (laughs) Um, And at that time, the film had the working title of Tomorrow Never Lies, which is why they wrote the song Tomorrow Never Lies. But I think they're actually saying Tomorrow Never Dies in the song. Um, Yeah, they try to do that so they can try to get the best song possible. And I think for tomorrow never dies, they actually went to the artist individually and said, Hey, we want you to write the song for the next James Bond movie. Hmm. As opposed to saying, Hey, we're just going to have this open contest and whoever writes the best song, you know, blah, blah, blah. They, um, there was a, a little bit of underhandedness at the, 
at the behest of the producers. Now, the artists, I believe, are still paid for it, but whether or not they actually use it is something else entirely. I wanted to check. I hadn't heard. Um, this is Radiohead Spectre. Now, my personal taste tells me this would have made a better song uh, for a theme, um, but that's also because I like Radiohead more than Sam Smith. Um, it also, like, it, it just sounds like a Radiohead song, so it's kind of hard to picture it working in a James Bond movie yeah, as, as a support unit and that's as opposed kind of to an why, individual song itself. That's kind of why I thought of Muse, because Muse to me has always been like a, an arena rock version of Radiohead. Like, just take Radiohead and just make them larger than life and able mm-hmm. to rock a stadium. And I feel like that's that's what you get. You get Muse. I mean, I think Matt Bellamy sounds very similar to Tom York, only on a grander scale. He's willing to, like, distort his voice. If you listen to um, my favorite song by them, Stockholm, Stockholm Syndrome, like, just his, his voice. I, I don't I just love everything about that song. That might be one of my future earworms. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Tim... Uh, you know, kind of uh, as far as like also bringing up the the rejected Bond themes. Um, uh, who do you think has gotten? Um, I mean, you may okay. Some people may think the Radiohead song is better than Sam Smith's. Who do you think mm-hmm. really, really got robbed of of being of of having a James Bond theme, and you know they they lost out to uh, an obvious or at least obviously obvious to you an inferior song i think i think surrender by katie lang is a better song than tomorrow never dies by cheryl crow the reason why i think that is because katie lang's uh vocal stylings her musical taste Mm -hmm. it's far more fitting of the his you know the kind of the classic james bond themes as opposed to cheryl crow it if anyone else was singing Tomorrow Never Dies, it probably would have been better. But because Cheryl Crow's coming in and she's got to be Cheryl Crow, and rightly so, she's going to do what she's going to do. Mm. Um, it, it, it just doesn't quite mesh in perfectly. And I think that because Surrender by Katie Lang was used in the end title credits, um, they probably were kind of torn about it. So... It's very easily, it's very possible that Surrender could have been used in the title credits as opposed to Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, another example is, would be for Thunderball. Um, the theme for Thunderball was sung uh, by Tom Jones, but they actually went to Johnny Cash first and asked Johnny Cash to write and record a song. Um, you can find it on YouTube. Um, if, if listeners are interested, I really like that song. It's very reminiscent of Ghost Riders in the Sky, but it's still and it's very much a Johnny Cash song. But it still like still has that, you know, that kind of get up and go feel that you need in a James Bond theme. All right, so this is a little of uh, "Surrender" by Katie Lang. It is on the soundtrack. You said it was using the end credits. Yeah, she wipes the floor with Cheryl Crow as a vocalist. No offense to Cheryl yeah. Crow, because I'm a fan of hers. But I mean, when as a singer, and Cheryl Crow did do this. When as a singer, you have to release an album where you say, "I'm going to focus on singing." To me, that means you're not a true singer. She's a singer-songwriter. You know, um, Bob Dylan wasn't the greatest singer. Many singer-songwriters in history haven't been amazing singers, but their music fits their style. Um, right. 
With that being said, why would you get Cheryl Crow, who admittedly is not a vocalist first, to sing a James Bond theme? When you because she was Katie, popular in the moment. Yeah, like Katie I mean, that's Lang what is, it goes back to. Yeah. And this sounds great. I don't. I. I don't think I'd ever. I'd ever heard this song. And I like. I like this much better than Tomorrow Never Dies. And it has a. It has that get up and go feel, like I, yeah. like I've been talking about. Like I'm more excited about watching the movie at the end of the movie. Sorry, there's there's a little bit of reverb, so I sound really weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, I'm more excited mm-hmm. about watching the movie at the end of the movie than I am at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like they should have flipped the two. No, I agree. That that was much better. Now, um, I want to also ask you about uh, with with the themes. I guess um, who is who? Who do you? Who were you pleasantly surprised by uh, with their th- like? You see, you see their name, even if you hadn't seen them, but you see their name. Like, really, the the this this <laughs> this, um, and then you hear the song, and it's like, okay, that wasn't so bad. I thought I was going to suffer. I think Goldeneye, I, with Goldeneye, I, I could immediately recognize that it was Tina Turner singing it. Um, I think that I appreciated it more when I realized it was written by Bono and The Edge. Yeah. Um, I, I went years without knowing that. I just, you know, you, you sit there and watch the movie, you see Tina Turner, it's like, oh, okay, what? Okay, great. And she does a really great job, and that's also a really great Bond theme as well. But I think I got a better appreciation of it as when I learned who it was that actually wrote the song. Um, yeah, that, that that's the one that really sticks out in my head as one that, that impressed me um, more than most. And I actually, I'm also really impressed by how popular the world is not enough that theme is with most people because that's a song by garbage mm-hmm. <laughs> and I haven't heard anything from garbage since 1999. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, that song has, it's a good song of course, but also like the, not just, I mean, the theme itself seems to have a lot of staying power and that's something that's always really impressed me as well. Okay. Um, Okay, this is a little Golden Eye by Tina Turner. Tim, um, what do you think of um, "Die Another Day"? I, yeah, I was just about to ask about that because that one, <laughs> that that one, I don't That's know. That's pretty divisive. I think the most divisive is is "Die Another Day." It's it's divisive between the people who think that it's absolutely awful and <laughs> the other side being people who are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it. I've never listened to a I've never listened to a James Bond theme before where I actually got physically ill. <laughs> it I, I used to make the joke that this sounds like Madonna wrote the song in the limo on the way to the recording studio. Having done like Quaaludes or do, something do you, like that. <laughs> do you think the auto tune like makes it worse? Well, I mean, the movie itself, I mean, there's no favors being done by the film itself. I I really feel like Die Another Day 
um, is, if not the worst James Bond movie, it's one of the worst James Bond movies. Uh, and did this, did this one have Halle Berry in it? Yeah, she was. Was um, this it, was this post Monsters Ball? It was her and yes. um, Denise Richards, right? No, no, Denise Richards was in The World Is Not Enough. This is Halle Berry post Oscar, post Monsters Ball. I can spend an entire podcast talking about all, like, beat for beat, what is wrong with this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the main problem with it is she. Uh, sorry (laughs) are you getting physically ill right now (laughs) it's well no it's like this is like my parents divorcing that's how awful this movie is oh god (laughs) that's pretty intense Um, man it's pretty it's pretty intense the the problem with the movie was that what they were trying to do was that they were trying to make a james bond movie and at the same time they were trying to launch a new film franchise with halle berry so Halle Berry was going to be the American James Bond, and it was supposed to be great. We were all going to make a million bucks. It was going to be awesome. Did but Ian movie... Fleming or whoever ghostwrites for Ian as Ian Fleming sign off on this? <laughs> um, no. You know who actually – I'm going to look this up. I'm pretty sure the people who wrote this – hold on. I have IMDb pulled up. You know what's crazy? I... Like – I guess that movie was so bad it made them reboot the franchise. Well, you know, I it, think it I, almost killed Pierce Brosnan's career. Yeah, like, that's I what swear I'm thinking. To God. Because I think I think Pierce Brosnan was. Hold on. <clears throat> I think he was a a, a, a decent or pre, or probably pretty good James Bond. But I think the the movies uh, were not like very subpar. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, the the people who wrote the movie were Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, who also wrote Casino Royale, Skyfall, like two of the most, and uh, I, a Spectre as well, like three of the most successful Bond films. Like I'm talking like 500 million plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skyfall made over a billion dollars. So, so like they're not idiots, but they're the ones that wrote this movie. Um. And they were at the, they were saddled with um, we have to write a James Bond movie, but we also have to we're being tasked with launching this other film fr- prospective film franchise over here that's going to be Jinx that's Halle Berry's character and it's going to be great and of course it didn't work out. Um, if you want like a really 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 good cry, watch an interview with Pierce Brosnan where he's talking about the filming of Die Another Day. Because he did not want to make the movie that they made, and while it made its it more than made its money back, uh, the producers contacted him and they said, "We're going to go in a different direction. We're not going to renew your contract." And given his history of just trying to get to play James Bond, it's especially heartbreaking. But yeah, Die Another Day had almost everything to do with the fact that they rebooted the franchise that they decided to. Wait a couple of years, go with Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. go in this, let's do an origin story type deal to, to make the film. Now, I'm going to um, inadvertently play the race card. Um, <laughs> By all means. <laughs> um, hold on, let me check one more thing. On, I think I know where it, you're going wait. with this, so I'm curious to see. Because I'm not sure if 
Okay, Shirley Bassey is black. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw some <laughs> I, I pictures like she she just looked very, very honest. She she's just really, really light skinned. But she's um, she's Welsh, but and her Nigerian. father is Nigerian. Yeah. Yeah. Um there's only been one, I guess. Okay, there's the rock and roll song, you know, Chris Cornell. Mm-hmm. Um I guess is it was it do you feel like it's important for each Bond theme? Forget the race card thing. Not really a, a race card issue, but I guess more. Oh, I'll just a, bring it right back in. <laughs> more of a genre thing. Um, I guess, okay, with Cornell, that's probably the uh, the closest to a pure rock and roll song. I guess you could also consider Live and Let Die. Um, yeah, there's there's also The Man with the Golden Gun. That's That's sung by Lulu. Okay. You remember Lulu? She sang <laughs> "To Sir with Love" from the mm-hmm. Sidney Poitier movie. I so, guess the the only like the only one that is even would even be considered an R and B song is "License to Kill." Yeah. Do you think there was like an aversion to um to an R and B like because it it can work? Yeah. Uh, the way that you know with the with the horns and the kind of tone that they always go for, it can work on an R and B scale. Uh, yeah, but do you think like there was an aversion to that? Like, yeah. no, I I don't think there was. I don't think it was a deliberate choice. Um, I think that they like. Well, sorry, I was having too many thoughts at the same time. So I mean, going back to they always do what's popular in the moment. Um, with Moonraker, as sung by Shirley Bassey in the ti- in the end title credits, they do a disco version of it, and that's because Moonraker came out in 1979. You know, so that's that's the the, right. (laughs) So that's the only reason why they're going to do it. And they literally just put a disco beat in it. Like, that's all they do to change the song. Um, So like that's so whatever is more kitschy, whatever more uh, maybe not kitschy, whatever is like like super trendy while they're making the movie. That's what they're going to go with. So maybe it's more because R&B has a little bit more of a staying power maybe that's why they didn't go in that direction but also for license to kill um the film in the end title credits they do one of my favorite songs that they do in a james bond movie which is of course if you ask me to by patty lapone uh let's try that again uh patty labelle yes thank you (laughs) patty lapone is a Broadway Not singer and my <laughs> wife my wife asks me if I'm gay and I say no. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, but no, Petit Labelle. I mean, uh, you, but you get and you get what I mean. Like they they try it and it's it's literally like you know a crackhead rolling dice as to what it is that they decide that they're going to do. There's there's no real rhyme or reason to it. Um, and what's interesting is that I think. Uh, with the song "If You Ask Me To" became a bigger song when Celine Dion did it. Mm. Oh, I didn't um, know that she covered it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was Patty Lapone until a couple of minutes ago. So what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, and so looking then at it, because yeah. I feel like James Bond themes have a certain um, standard sound to them, mm-hmm. if you will. So, yeah, honestly, I, I mean, now you've kind of got me thinking like, all right, yeah, you've, you've never heard an R&B 
a real true kind of our modernized R and B style version of um of a James Bond thing. I don't. Th- I, well, you know what? I don't think that's going to happen. Not a not a not modern R and B as as we may know it, like something yeah. from the early two thousands or the nineties. Yeah. It's going to be something like honestly, it it just came to my mind. The next Bond movie theme is probably going to be done by like the weekend. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> But what I, I, was, I was really hoping for Muse. Can we go back to Muse? Uh, M- M- Muse is a great choice. But what I, well, and also, but, Kanye but, West wouldn't it wouldn't be a bad choice. Well, no, I'm saying the weekend. If you heard um, uh, "Earned It" yeah. from Fifty Shades of Grey, it's kind of sounds like it could be a, a Bond theme with the some new words. Yeah. Uh, so I I think. That that may be repeated on the next film, whether Daniel Craig is playing him or not. Yeah, I think though. Well, it, it entirely depends on, on whether or not Daniel Craig likes 150 million dollars for two more films. Like, come on, man. like, yeah. What what more does he want? Does he want to direct it too? Does he want to? He's got to make Cowboys and Aliens Part Two, man. That's what he's <laughs> He's got to make the well, third, I mean, uh, the girl who did something. She had a dragon, dragon tattoo. tattoo he's got to make it. Then there's a hornet's those. nest, and there was a third one who like played with fire or something. Yeah, he's busy. Well, man. I mean, it's, it's, he's already a producer on on the films. Sorry, I'm getting reverb again. Um, he's already a producer on the films. I think that he he is really concerned about his physical and mental health because the films are really exhausting to make. Mm. And then he makes the films, and then when he's done making the films, he gets a little bit of a break, and then he has to go on a press tour for a couple of months. And then in the time that he's making, doing the press tour, um, people just ask him questions about, are you still going to be James Bond, as opposed to asking him questions about the movie that he just made. They're already asking questions about the next one. So I... I would be surprised. I, I would be surprised if he turned down 150 million dollars. I would also be more surprised if they actually made that offer because a lot of this stuff is like rumor and conjecture, and yeah. a lot of media outlets like to kind of spitball as to who's going to be James Bond next, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, I I I think that he's going to come back for another film but in the end it's going to be up to him and it's going to be up to barbara broccoli who is the main executive producer of the film who Uh, probably is the one that offered him 150 million dollars if that's true you don't normally hear about that as far as like movies go like the actors getting offered a certain amount of money you normally just hear that with athletes Mm -hmm. because you know sports fans are always in athletes pockets Mm -hmm. we aren't really in the actors pockets um but I think um, let's get back to the music part because that's what this is. Well, I, I don't want to get too far into I, Daniel Craig here. I want to interject too. I I had the idea of all things being fair. I'd be curious to hear a country version of a James Bond theme. Not that's a not, stupid idea, well, and not bro country. So not like you know, not Luke Bryan or, or Georgia Florida, Florida Line, or whatever they're called. <laughs> not that crap. No, I don't want to. I'm talking about like a classic. Like, give me some Travis Tritt. The reason the reason why that would be difficult is because James Bond is British. Oh yeah, it doesn't translate, of course. No, yeah. You know, if there were some an American James Bond, the closest to that that we have is American James Bond is Triple X. 
I was gonna say Jason Bourne, maybe. Well, Jason Bourne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he's all. But he's. But he's never in America. <laughs> he's majority not in America. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, what's actually funny about that? The first James Bond movie. There's so. Uh, sorry, I was getting ahead of myself. So, and for James Bond movies, um, they usually only consider the ones released by United Artists or Eon Productions to be official James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. There have been ones made outside of that. Yeah. The first James Bond movie actually made was in the 1950s. It was a made-for-TV movie, and they changed it from James Bond, British agent, to Jimmy Bond, American agent. Whoa. <laughs> it did not go over super well. <laughs> see, that would have had a country song. You could have had Patsy Cline. <laughs> yeah, see, it was a missed opportunity, the whole thing. Oh, God. Um so, it is. It is. I have not watched it, but from what I understand, it's about as awful as you can picture. <laughs> um, the uh, it, it, have either of you seen the the Daniel Craig uh, Casino Royale? Yes, I love that one. It's it's arguably it's the best James Bond movie. Um, I'll accept arguments for Skyfall, but really, like knee jerk reaction, I'm going to say Casino Royale. But uh, the Le Chief, who was Mads Mikkelsen, the the guy with the eye, mm-hmm. the main mm-hmm. villain. Yeah. Um, in the TV movie, he was played by Peter Lorre. Oh, so this origi- this first movie that you're referring to was Casino Royale? Yeah, they, oh. they started with Casino Royale, which was the first James Bond yeah. book and had no no good discernible music from what I understand. Oh, boy. No, I, I, I remember that being one of the first ones that I really paid attention to. And I remember thinking... Um, cause I think I'd seen the one, I'd, I'd seen the one with Denise Richards, I think, because they're like, the driving through chi- they're driving through China, they're um, biking through China or something like that. Um, in some scene, I just remember thinking Casino Royale was a lot grittier and felt a lot more realistic than any other James Bond movie I'd, or modern James Bond movie I'd seen. I think the ones with Daniel Craig have the, they, they appear to have more like character depth. Yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah. And and this is a pet this is a pet cause of mine. So forgive me if this isn't um, quite on topic. But the thing about uh, Daniel Craig and the reason why Daniel Craig is the best Bond is because the films allow him to be that way. Um, Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan both were create trying to create characters of more depth, but the movies that they were in did not really allow for that, and that's why. They're generally not thought of as very good James Bonds. Hmm. Um, so that's why if, if I were to make a list of the best James Bond, I usually, and, and talking with people, I usually rank Timothy Dalton a lot higher than most people. So uh, next time you're in a conversation with someone about it, if you approach it not as who is a better actor or who is better actor playing this character, you really have to look at the film in general and what the film allowed them to do. Like Timothy, honest, honest to God, Timothy Dalton was trying to do in 1987, what Daniel Craig was allowed to do in 2006. Like no joke. He was trying to make it a a lot tougher, a lot grittier, a lot more intense, a lot more of admittedly the guy's a sociopath. Like that's, that's the way it is. I tried to, um, I may go back and watch the, the Bond. I mean, the only ones that I'm more familiar with are the ones with Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. and the the two I've seen with um, with Pierce Brosnan are Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough, and I barely remember those. And I, I'm kind of <laughs> iffy about watching Moonraker because it was in the '70s, and it's it's just 
the looking at the poster and the title, why does this sound like Bond in space? It <laughs> is Bond in space. I see, that's why I'm like, no. That's, there's that's a space see it. laser battle at the end just because Star Wars came out two years before. No. It's Bond in space, and that is what so many TV shows and cartoons were doing in the 70s. We don't know what to do. Let's. It is so <laughs> goofy. It's like, like ridiculous. Well, who was the Bond and Moonraker? Uh, Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Roger, oh. And it was, uh, I remember there was, remember when VH1 did those I Love the Whatever Decade shows? Mm-hmm. And I uh, there was, a, they were talking about Josie and the Pussycats and Hal Sparks was on there talking about it. He's like, man, when they started to suffer, they just did what everyone else did in the 70s. Give them a monkey and send them to space. <laughs> so that's why I like, not just looking at the poster and the title. That looks like Bond in space, and I, it I'm, is. I, I'm it's not here for that. Really upsetting. <laughs> I'm not here for that. <laughs> you shouldn't be. You have. I could just, just you could on a dartboard. You could write any number of like inane things to do. Throw a dart, and it would be better time spent than the hour and a half that you could watch Moonraker. Like it's 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 upsetting. That's a movie with that has a a pigeon does a double take. What? A, a pigeon. pigeon. As in, like it sounds. It sounds um, less cra- Like something that's less crazy than that is uh, a short Asian man that can chop your head off by throwing his hat at you or something or what or whatever odd job was doing with that hat. I well, like it wasn't just the hat though. Like he was. <laughs> Like he he could do other things like drive a car, um, <laughs> book appointments. I guess like whatever. I don't know what he did in his off time. Like but that was like, that was, that was Doctor No, wasn't it? That was that was Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Okay. I I literally can do this all day. I've read all of the books. Oh, I know. I know. I've seen the movies. I, and if I was wrong, I know you'll correct me. So, <laughs> as you have observed, I did not hesitate. Um, <laughs> There is there is one one thing one story that I do want to share and it's kind of music related. Um, a View to a Kill was the seventh and final film that Roger Moore did mm-hmm. in 1985. He had been uh, making James Bond movies at that point for about 12 years. Uh, and actually, two stories that I'll share. First, the reason why it's his last movie is because he was talking with uh, his co-star Tanya Roberts, um, and over the course of the conversation, he realized that he was older than her mother. Whoa. Time and then he went to the producers and said, this has to be my last <laughs> It's <movie."> time to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, he was about, I think he was like 58 years old. And if you watch the movie, every shot with him looks like he just woke up from a nap. <laughs> like <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty bad. But uh, the the reason why I mentioned any of it is because Grace Jones is in the movie. Yes, um, she is the hench person for Christopher Walken's uh, villain Max Zorin. And apparently, the story is that um, uh, uh, Grace Jones and Roger Moore did not like each other, which was super weird because they had a sex scene in the movie. So, uh, Grace Jones movie. Say what? Because it's a bond movie. Mm -hmm. Right. He's gonna, he's gonna get, he's gonna get down at least twice, usually three to five. 
um, anyway, so like he Bond returns to his apartment, his room. Uh, uh, Mayday, Grace Jones, is waiting for him in bed. And uh, he just, like James Bond does, just takes off his clothes. He jumps into bed and they start fooling around, getting getting down. And uh, Grace Jones had a large rubber black dildo in the bed with him. And once they got the shot, she tried to shove it up Roger Moore's butt. Oh. And Roger Moore was very upset about this. And uh, they did not speak to each other for the remainder of the film. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Grace Jones has a very unique sense of humor. <laughs> I thought um, it was funny. <laughs> I mean, you, oh, well, even people who have not seen A View to a Kill, if you've seen Boomerang, you know that Grace Jones has a very unique oh. sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh well, I wanted to ask you this also, and this will be the last thing before we go uh, to the year of the week for me. Um, now, uh, the songs, like, okay, with with the Bond movie, there's a Bond theme, and, and yeah. it's a big deal, and that's why it's a topic on here. Uh, right. As far as being recognized by the Academy, um, the first song that was nominated was Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney or Wings. It's, well, credit to Paul McCartney and Wings. Mm-hmm. And um, Linda McCartney actually and, wrote. And she Linda wrote the, a, um, the Little Bridge in the middle of the song. Okay. Hmm. Uh, yes, I was co- uh, credited as a co-writer. Um, but I think uh, that was the only one until Skyfall was nominated. Right. I actually, to my knowledge, I thought that the first one was Skyfall. So any, I, I, I take your word for it that the first one nominated was, or the last one before Skyfall that was nominated was Love and Let Die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that it's? Uh, what do you? What do you? Why do you think that that may have been to where that's the only? Uh, there's only three of these themes that were nominated for the Academy Awards. I think that in general, James Bond movies up until recently have not been taken that seriously. And I think that's in part by the Academy and by uh, BAFTA, the British Academy for Film, Television, Arts, or whatever BAFTA stands for. I'm sorry. There was one one before then. Uh, Nobody Does It Better from The Spy Who Loved Me. That's because Marvin... Uh, sorry, the reverb. Uh, that's because Marvin ha- Hamlish wrote that movie. He that, wrote that was song. that like his year? Dude, Marvin Hamlish could do year? no wrong. <laughs> From 1970 to 1981, he was God. It was like it's him, and then well, okay, that was okay. That was his time. He had a a, a seven year period. I feel like I know Marvin Hamlish won. He won the best the best new artist Grammy, I think, and. Um, he was nominated for a, he was actually nominated for an Oscar the very next year. But I feel like it was like his time. He had a year in the seventies where he was like all over the place. And then like 1980, then was Christopher Cross. And I, uh, I don't know what these guys, on, I didn't wait, know wait. what these guys look like. Christopher Cross and Marvin Hamlish in the same room together. They might be the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, I need to see pictures. Speaking of Marvin Hamlish, uh, okay, The Spy Who Loved Me, and then he was nominated the next year 
for uh, a song from Same Time Next Year. I don't, I'm not familiar with that film. And then he was nominated. I think it's a movie with Alan Alda. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And then the very next year, he's nominated again for a song from the movie Ice Castles. So he might be the um, uh, Stephen Schwartz or the Alan Menken of the 1970s. Like you know, because um, Stephen Schwartz and Alan Menken wrote would write a song for uh, Disney, and like as long as the movie was released, they were going to get nominated for something. Um, I think part of the reason why there was a dry period for the Bond films is maybe because Disney was filling that gap and maybe Disney's not filling that gap really right now. And that's why they're willing to nominate uh, the Bond themes. But like, but honestly, God, like I really feel like until Casino Royale, um, no one, including the people who were making the movies, were really taking the Bond films that seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Casino Royale is just all of a sudden that's a really great movie, great music. Uh, I, I again, I really love the theme. Quantum of Solace, while not as popular as other Daniel Craig movies, is art directed perhaps within an inch of its life. Like it's almost overshot. <laughs> um, worth checking out, but you kind of have to watch it. Did we lose him? Yeah, I think we did. Hmm. He's still on the line here. Um, but we didn't hit the mute button. No, I didn't. No, not you, him. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, uh, Tim, if you can hear us, we're going to hang up and we're going to call you right back. <laughs> and Skype sounds. Okay, we're going to call him right back. Um uh, actually, the last song that was nominated was "For Your Eyes Only" from "For Your For Your Eyes Only." Who was in that one? That was uh, I think that was that was a Roger Moore one. Okay, and it had uh, who sung it? I think it was Sheena Easton. Oh, okay. I think I for, I don't I don't know why I forgot about Roger Moore being a James Bond. I don't know why I forgot about that. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. Please leave. British. Okay. <laughs> uh, and now he's calling us. So let's try this again. Hey, Tim. Hey, Ben. All right. Sorry. So, um, I forget the point that you were making, but oh, I, 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 um... I was I was rambling. <laughs> um, but it was it was it was more to say that I think that at the point when people and the filmmakers and the audience, when everyone started taking it a lot more seriously, that's when I started getting nominated for for Academy Awards and more or awards in general on a more regular basis. Before, um, uh, as I just mentioned, before Skyfall, the last one nominated was actually for your eyes only. Uh, the sh- the one sung by Sheena Easton. Right. So Sorry, there's that. <laughs> I, I every time you say Sheena, every time anyone says Sheena Easton, I just think of my baby takes the morning train, <laughs> and it's really hard to take her seriously. And then and then she did the song with Prince, uh, the look, or you oh, got the look, yeah. Which uh, I think that that may have. That that changed stuff for her because people didn't know who she was anymore. If she's singing about her baby taking the morning mm-hmm. train, and then she's doing a song with Prince, um, 
I didn't realize that she sang the look with Prince. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> well, I say that because um, there was a, uh, like, a, on TV, they used to have these ads for, like, these music comp. 80s music compilation that mentioned that song and I oh, said yeah, the yeah, only yeah. part that would get stuck in my head is he got the look got the look got the look <laughs> and so I thank you for naming it um, so uh, that's going to do it for this segment um, Tim thank you for hanging out with us uh, if you can hang out with us for just a few more minutes oh sure you can hear uh, the nonsense that I've been listening to <laughs> <laughs> what is your earworm Greg uh, my earworm is something I, I just heard this song like uh, last week, and uh, there's an I was listening to another song by this artist. He's he's uh, uh, well, the vocalist on the song is named Quinn. I believe this is ninety two. Is C the Roman numeral for a hundred? V. You said C. C. I think so. Yes. So it's it's Quinn X C I I. But I think it's Quinn ninety two. That sounds much easier to say. Yeah, uh, he's the he's the vocalist on the track. But the artist, I guess, who wrote the song or he did the the beat or whatever is Grim, which is spelled uh, G R M M. So that means he's uh, he does electronic music. He does EDM because that's what you have to do. You have to take a word and take all the vowels out. <laughs> um, so this is. Uh, Something from Nothing by Grimm featuring Quinn. I'm going to say Quinn 92. You're, and you're right. XEII. I just looked it up. It's 92. All right. So makes even more sense. Roll down my window pane. Tell me who you are. Notice when I but I need you in my arms, girl Living out on the streets Working the boulevard Tell me what you working for Tell me what you working for Let's go oh, oh, oh. I need you all alone oh, oh. Thought this out and I know oh, oh. Yeah, so much more Something from Nothing by Grimm. Take out the I. <laughs> and Quinn92 or XEII. Uh, it's just a single right now, but check out our Spotify playlist of our earworms and you'll see it on there. Yeah, I've got that um, Craig David track and um, K Tronada. Ah, 
I've, I've been listening to that one. That's a, that's a killer track. Oh yeah, um, from our from last week's show. Yeah, um, still on the playlist. It's still there. So check out. You'll see all the songs that we've had over all our episodes. Um, but yeah, check out. Yeah, the ninety nine point nine percent album is still on rotation for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we have talked about Bond themes and. Uh, Drake and Kanye doing an album together, hoping that Drake doesn't hurt himself. Yes. <laughs> well, not on the hurting himself, but <laughs> oh, on the album. Uh, well, at the very least, no one's going to hurt Drake. Like, please stop hurting Drake. Not yeah, emotionally. Emotionally. Oh, yeah, yeah. Emotionally. Be positive. Mm-hmm. Physically, a, he's hurting himself by, you know, falling. <laughs> um, <laughs> and apparently he has no ligaments in his knees. So. Oh, God. He should just stand in one place while he's performing, or uh, sit in a chair. Well, he did. He did for a he long did time. Play yeah. an actor in a wheelchair for a while. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's Wheel- funny. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, um. Oh, Tim, you still there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought. I, yeah, I thought it, you can it, never tell what's coming. It sounded silent there for a second, but um, uh, this is going to bring us to the end of our episode, uh, Tim. Do you, if you want anybody in our audience to find you, where can they find you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. My my Twitter handle is Timbo underscore Renald, and that's T-I-M-B-E-A-U-X underscore R-E-Y-N-A-L-D. <sighs> um, I'm also the editor-in-chief of a website called Roll to Save. That's roll2save.com. Um, it's a nerd mecca of sorts. Um, I write for there. Uh, we also do video game streaming, things like that. It's just, you know, all kind of, all kinds of things nerdy. So if you want to uh, follow me there, uh, you'd be more than welcome. And that's the best, probably the best way of trying to find me. All right. Um, uh, so you can find him there. Uh, as far as our show goes, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash by the time you hear this. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at by the time you hear this, but instead of the word you, it's the letter you. Why? Because we urban. Exactly. Uh, what? <laughs> it's all about the you. <laughs> I had uh, no idea you guys were urban. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Can't you tell from the way we talk? <laughs> Can't you I mean, tell all, from the way I talk? Look, if we'll give you a picture, <laughs> give it to the police. Are these guys urban? And they will respond in the affirmative. <laughs> um, <laughs> Does that apply to Shirley Bassey? Uh, well, yeah. I don't. How are good is police? Possibly. <laughs> They're Billy clubs. You know. <laughs> What are they called? Where are they called in in the UK? Are they called Bobbies or Scotland, is that the hat? Scotland Yard, right? They're called uh, Bobbies. Uh, Bobbies. You're looking okay. for Bobbies, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, if you if you show a picture to her, some to someone in the South, they're gonna say she's urban, mm-hmm. uh, because she's not suburban. Ah, hey, anyway, <laughs> um. <laughs> I will. I, I am woefully unprepared for this conversation. <laughs> it's almost over. It's almost over. Hold on. Um, you can also find, you could also email us if you'd like with questions, um, topic ideas, or 
just to yell at us over text uh, because that's what people on the internet do mm-hmm. at by the time you hear this at gmail.com spelled the same as our Instagram with the letter U. Um, and what else did we have? Well, the blog's in works. That's why I emailed oh, yeah. you or texted you for the password. It's going to be created through the Gmail okay. website. So I started working on, I'm not going to say what it is, but I have started working on the, the first article. Um, now that I finally got back from California, now that I'm, for the most part, moved into my new place, I've got time. All right. Yes. I have an office where I can actually sit and I won't wake up anyone when I come <laughs> home late. So I can actually sit down and write. And so, yeah, that's going to happen. So the blog is under construction. Mm-hmm. And when it's ready, uh, you will know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's going to do it for the end of this episode. Uh, Tim. Why don't you select a Bond theme that we could end the show with? One that we haven't played. Oh, one that will uh, you know, make you physically I got ill. My fingers crossed. I get to pick a theme. Oh dear. Um, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Thank you. I'm. I'm going. Can I explain why I picked the one? Okay, great. Sure. sure. So. <laughs> um, so. One of my favorite Bond films, is, and we haven't talked about it, which is part of the reason why I'm choosing it. It's uh, "You Only Live Twice" by yes. uh, sung by Nancy Sinatra. Yes. The reason why I like this one is because it's it's a very beautiful song. It incorporates some, shall I say, native instruments of Japan or of East Asia. Um, this is one that when I was a kid, the song would get stuck in my head a lot. Um, it's, it's a really pretty song and, uh, so probably, uh, fair advice in general, you, you only live twice. All right. So that's going to do it for our show. And we're going to end it with Nancy Sinatra's you only live twice. We'll talk to you guys soon. Later. Peace. One life for yourself and one for your